All right. So, this is what we're going to do today. I call this legalists and libertines. Like I said, I've, I did this a couple of times in the college ministry, and I, 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 I've built on these notes every time. Um, the, you know, throughout just walking with the Lord, I mean, this is always a battle um, in my own heart and mind. I think this is, again, just what tends to happen when we uh, begin to coast. It tends to happen when we uh, immerse ourselves in more in the culture rather than in the word. It tends to happen when our love grows cold. Um, and we continue with the religious or the religious stuff, but but the but the love begins to wane. Uh, this is a tendency for any Christian. By God's grace, the Lord has saved us out of this, and this is natural for any unbeliever. But when we talk about this, legalists and libertines, we're really talking about uh, two main things, and we call them legalism and antinomianism. Uh, like I said, this is a constant conversation. It arises both here at the church in the context of the Christian school here. Uh, I feel like um, many times uh, the, the legalism card is pulled up. I was actually talking to someone recently uh, that jokingly said people in the church use the term legalist in the same way that people in the culture use the term racist. You know what I mean? It's like anytime somebody starts pressing us, you're like, that's racist. And all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 I'm not racist. I'm not racist, you know? But that's what we do in the church with this term legalist, you know? You'll, you'll be pursuing whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't, and somebody pulls out the legalist card, and your first reaction is either defense or, no, 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 that's not what I am. Because when we hear the term legalist, immediately we think the hypocrites, the Pharisees, unbelievers, that kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, the reaction or the defense, um, not only we denounce it and then the accusations, that kind of thing, but, but a lot of times we then run to the other side to what we would call either being a, a libertine or an antinomian and trying to say, no, 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 either weigh it out or we kind of flop back and forth. And many people think the opposite of legalism is antinomianism, which means no law. Actually, I have that on the next blank. But, but it's not, and that's what we want to talk about today. Legalism, legalists define themselves by their adherence to the law. And again, one of the easiest and go-to examples in the Bible is the Pharisees. Um, you know, they, they were very devoted to uh, the Old Testament. They were very devoted to the Word of God. Uh, but in their devotion created a whole system that was outside of the Word of God that became this way that they would say they were trying to follow, obey, whatever, God. But they had created this thing, and they defined themselves by the law that they had created. Antinomianism, if you haven't heard that word before, anti means against, namas means law, so this is against the law. It's almost like what we do in our flesh to fight that, that, those legalistic tendencies is we run to the other side. But the thing is, is antinomians still define themselves by the law. They just define themselves by their freedom from the law. So both of them are looking at the law and going, you know, it's either my adherence to the law that causes me to be who I am, causes me to be better than others, or causes me to have something uh, of benefit or, 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 or of uh, merit in the sight of God. Or you go to the other side and be like, no, 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 I'm saved by grace. The whole free grace movement, which has been huge in this country and still just has tentacles all through the churches, where we, they basically are saved by the grace of Christ, therefore we're not under the law. And then licentiousness and lawlessness can abound because you've been saved by the grace of Christ. And so, but again, like I said, both of these things are defined by the law, and we'll get into more of that in a second. Um, I, I saw someone say it this way one time. I don't know where I got this from, but I didn't make it up. But it's a great kind of quote, just to get, if, get it in your mind. Legalism lives by lists. Antinomianism lives by lusts. And so, again, like I said... Uh, a lot of times we think that they're the opposite of each other, but legalism and antinomianism are actually the, the different sides of the exact same coin. Uh, they're both driven by the law, defined by the law, and driven by the flesh. And both find their righteousness through the law. It's a self-righteousness. Either you find your righteousness, a self-righteousness through your adherence to the law, or you find your righteousness in the fact that you have disregarded the law, and now you live uh, according to what you would call grace, uh, but what could easily be, and we'll talk about that, uh, just um, uh, still enslaved to sin. Uh, both see the law as negative, by the way. Um, adherence to the restrictions of the law can be evidence of righteousness, or the law is irrelevant because it's been fulfilled in Christ. Either way, the law is still the center of both of these uh, heresies and both of these tendencies uh, for any of us. Um, 
again, I don't know where I got this quote. This was from the first time I went through this with the college group, so I didn't write down who it was. So I can't tell you where this quote came from. But it says, legalistic people in the church who believe, in effect, that a personal, vital, deep relationship with Christ alone is not enough to satisfy God. They add rules and requirements governing the performance of certain duties that they think are essential to spirituality. Rules about eating and drinking, dress and appearance, religious rituals, and so on. And so what this does, as we, as we make our lists and we make our rules, it feeds the pride and the self-righteousness of the people that define themselves by these lists. Um, uh, the strict adherence to rules and regulations uh, usually found, is founded on some kind of desire to earn favor. Either earn favor with God uh, by your adherence to these rules or find favor with others. And there's benefits to legalism that you can gain just from, from your peer group that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, there can be an elevation, well, there is in legalism, an elevation and a glorification and an infatuation with yourself. You can say that for both sides. Um, it's it's self-driven and self-centered, and you're defining yourself by, by like I said, either your adherence to your law or your, or your forsaking of the law. Your obedience with legalism or, or adherence to the law, commands, um, and things like that, there, there's something you're gaining out of it. Uh, the legalists tend to um, uh, focus, like, like focus in on the imperatives and sometimes forget the indicatives of the Bible. They forget that they're in Christ. They forget they're saved by grace through faith. They forget many of these things, uh, like uh, Paul talks to the Galatians, you know, you started well, you, you, you came to Christ through faith, but then you start to try to be sanctified by the flesh. And that is, I mean, you can easily slide into that. Um, Many times, legalists are drawn to legalism because you gain some influence through it. Uh, a lot of times, it becomes a hobby horse that you're on, and, and by doing that, you begin to draw other people that have the same hobby horse, or people begin to see the outside effects of your life, uh, and, and they equate that with some sort of uh, uh, maturity or a deeper spirituality when sometimes the, the interior is lacking, but the, the outside looks good. But you can gain influence through that. You can gain a good reputation through that. Uh, you can become a person of importance. I mean, you know, again, we're always assessing fruit, and sometimes as we try to assess fruit, and we were like, hey, you should teach a class or you should do this, um, you know, you can, you can be seeing the outside and not know what's actually happening internally. And so there's things that can come out of that. You can gain respect through that. Uh, you can actually gain assurance through legalism. It's a false assurance. It's assurance that uh, we'll talk about that in a second when we get in Matthew 7. But, but your own adherence to your own law then gives you assurance that you're okay with God. And that's where the Pharisees were, right? And then when God showed up and said, you're not okay, they disregarded what he said because they had false assurance. And so legalism can give you false assurance. There's a good assurance that you want to definitely strive towards, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, actually, there's a really good book, I'll just plug it here, called The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson that talks about legalism, antinomianism, and assurance because they're all wrapped up together. Um, and so if you're, you know, into reading and like reading Presbyterian dudes that say things in 400 words that could have been said in 40 words, then <laughs> this is your book. It's a great book, though. It really is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then, I, hey, I'm sorry. Any Presbyterian-rooted brothers of you? <laughs> that's just my, my thing. Any, anytime I see P&R on the, the, the binding of a book, I'm like, whew, <laughs> this is going to be a long read. It's called The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. Actually, it's not by PNR. I think it's Crossway put it out. But it's a, it's a great book. A very good book. Um, also, here's the other thing. I guess a, a darker side of legalism is it can easily lead to hypocrisy. So because of your legalism, because of your false assurance and those sort of things, uh, you become callous and hardened in, in your duplicity. And, uh, and, and legalism very often leads to uh, hypocrisy where you have outward obedience, perceived holiness, but inwardly there's a rivalry still with God uh, or with others. You know, again, you're, you're looking at others and you're, you're always comparing, you're always defining others or yourself to others. And so you exalt or, or um, uh, you exalt yourself uh, because you're, you're infatuated with yourself. So anyway, legalism leads to self-righteousness, self-esteem, self-worship, self-glory, and selfishness, and you become the king of your own kingdom. God exists to exalt you, and others exist to serve and to worship you. And we'll talk about this in a second. What, what legalism is missing is not that the law is bad, it's that it's lacking love 
That's what is missing. And it's lacking um, an understanding of who we are in Christ. I do have the person who wrote this. Jeremiah Johnson, in one of his, uh, it's an online writing, but uh, said, one of the dangers of legalism is that it shortcuts the need for integrity. Uh, When godliness isn't measured in holiness and maturity, but how your life looks relative to others, there's no need to discipline your heart and your mind. That's, That's important right there. In fact, most of the time, people that are um, living in legalism have a very, it's almost like they're unaware of, of their own heart and mind. And ma- many times, people close to them can, can see the discrepancies. And, and when you talk, about it, it's almost like they're, they're unaware of their own sinfulness. Whereas the Christian is just blown away by their own sinfulness. You know, I mean, when someone points out, you know, uh, my you know, tendency to, to be impatient or something, you, you know, the Christian is like, you have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's deeper than you actually understand, and I'm fighting this all the time. Does that make sense? It's like when you have a person that is humble, understands their dependence on Christ, and knows they're in need of his grace every day, they, they, it's not like they, they are a perfect judge of their own heart, but if you can see it on the outside, they're usually fighting that thing internally hard. Does that make sense? And they know their weaknesses, and they hate their sinfulness. But with legalists, it's almost like they dis- don't discern. You'll, you'll talk about this thing that seems to be perceived, and they're like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's almost like a, a lack of assessment. Um, and uh, so the sins that no one else can see essentially don't count, and you wind up living a hypocritical double life. Some of this can be purposefully, under, and you understand your own hypocrisy. Sometimes I think hypocrites may not understand their own hypocrisy. But again, that's the blessing of the church. You have men and women around you that are born of Christ that can perceive things and are striving to come alongside you. And that's one of the reasons you want to pull into the church and not be your own isolated person because hypocrisy, legalism, and licentiousness exist. They flourish in the dark, and they flourish on the, uh, on the, on the fringes. Um, your outward behavior might look godly, but it's a worthless facade if your heart is still dominated by selfishness, lust, hatred, and pride. And we know that, right? Um, and if your godliness is just a facade, you can be sure it will eventually collapse and expose the hypocrisy within. And again, we have plenty of uh, Bible verses that tell us that, that your sins will find you out, that the Lord knows the heart and the mind. He's, his eyes go to and fro, searching throughout the earth, to find one whose heart is completely his. God is always concerned about the heart. Now, again, the heart should therefore play out into what is visible to others. If you have a loving heart, you should be speaking loving words. If you have a loving heart, you should be loving others with your actions. So the heart is displayed outwardly, but outward display does not necessarily mean that the heart is, is being changed or is changed. And again, that's what we want to dig out, you and me, right? We're not just here to go, ah, legalist. Yeah, I know one of those. You're, you're here to look at your own heart and examine yourself. Uh, what legalism does is, it, it, is uh, it lacks love of God and others. And that's the, that's the diagnosis. That's what you're looking at. Legalism lacks a love of God and a love of others. Um, and like I said, I, mean, I think even as a born-again child of God, we can tend to slide into this when our love grows cold, uh, when our focus becomes just us, uh, when, we, when we do pull away from the body of Christ. And so the, the answer is then to, to love one another, to be devoted to God, understand what we are in Christ, and love Christ and follow him for that reason, and pull into the body of Christ. Love displayed in submission, humility, sacrifice, obedience, integrity, character, sanctification, maturity. These are the things that drive us away from legalism. Um, Personal love and a deep desire to honor, please, and glorify God that drives a child of God to trust and obey his Father. You you want to love Christ. You want to love God. you You want to understand that even your pursuit of holiness and righteousness and, 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 and the way that you bind yourself and deny yourself and you have self-control, all of which are fruits of the Spirit, those are still driven by a love to honor Christ, not to be seen by others and be honored by them, and a love and a desire to love others and sacrifice for them, not to be exalted by them. Does that make sense? So again, the outward actions may not change. It's the inward part of you that needs to change. Um, a love for God and a love of others always results in submission, sacrifice, obedience, a denial of self, and humility. This will produce purity and integrity, character, holiness, and maturity. So the answer for legalism 
is not run on the other side and toss the law. The answer for legalism is love. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be devoted to him and, and strive to deny yourself. For him to be more, for you to be less, for you to be forgotten, for him to be exalted, that is the pathway away from legalism. Does that make sense? It is love, which leads us right into the next thing. Like I said, antinomianism. Antinomianism, I didn't write this definition up there. We had it at the very beginning. Well, I guess I can go back to that. Is, is lawlessness. For the antinomian, the law no longer applies. Yet they still define themselves by the law. They would say Christ has fulfilled the law, which is true. But at the same time, we know from Matthew 5 that, that he fulfills the law, but he doesn't. everything in law still stands. Uh, he came to fulfill, not to, um, what's the word? Um, abolish the, the law and the prophets. In Christ, those things are fulfilled. But what we see in the law is, is the character of God. We see how God works. We see what he did for the nation of Israel. We see uh, the, really a definition of what a love of God and a love of others would look like if displayed. And we'll talk about that in a second. But like I said, uh, antinomians, uh, the free grace movement was a big uh, uh, push. And, and like I said, it's still, it's still flourishing, but you don't hear about it as often as you used to. Uh, but it basically is people that say, you know, we're, we're saved by grace, and it doesn't matter what I do, think, or say after this, I'm saved by the blood of Christ, uh, which, you know, leads people to be like, you know, you made a profession when you were 15, you lived in sin for the next 50 years, and you died, and, but that thing that you did, 50, you know, 50 years ago got you into heaven sort of thing. And what this is lacking is it's lacking obedience, humility, submission, those sort of things, but again, out of love. Uh, Sinclair, I did write a quote from this book. Sinclair Ferguson in The Whole Christ said, The antinomian is by nature a person with a (laughs) legalistic heart. So it's a person with a legalistic heart. So again, in our natural flesh, we think legalism over here, antinomian over here. I'm just going to shift over to here. But really, you're you're all on the same team. You're You're just doing it in a different way. They have a legalistic heart. He or she becomes an antinomian in reaction. But this implies only a different view of the law, not a more biblical one. So the law is still center. Law is how you define yourself. The legalists look at it as adherence. The antinomians go, well, Christ fulfilled that. I don't need that anymore. But both are in the exact same camp. Does that make sense? What they're not defined by is Christ and love. Um, John MacArthur uh, said it this way. Actually, I'll come to that quote in a second. Um, uh, basically, the antinomians uh, stress the indicatives and soften the imperatives. Like I said, with the legalists, you're going through, you're finding all the imperative verbs, the commands of God, and you're hanging your hat on those things. And a lot of times you forget the fact that you, you can't obey God, love God, uh, follow God apart from Christ. You're in Christ. You're with Christ. It's Christ who's working through you. You're sanctified by Christ. He's doing the work. You know what I mean? And you begin to give yourself glory, honor, and some sort of merit for something that only Jesus Christ can do. And on the other side, you got the antinomians that look at all the indicatives. We are in Christ. We're saved by grace. Uh, he knew us before the foundation of the world. Nothing can separate us from his love. You can't be snatched out of his hand, all of which are true. But then they soften the imperatives. Be holy like I am holy. Those who love me obey my commands. Uh, uh, um, you know, we must love one another the way he's loved us. You, you, you soften all the imperative commands uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, it emphasizes grace and faith and freedom, uh, but they minimize obedience, submission, denial of self, self-control, and holiness, all of which Christ is and commands of us. Antinomians feed pride and indulgence by denying commands and imperatives and responsibility. Uh, many times you'll see the, the, the way this is usually manifest is uh, people that revel in their freedoms and their liberties. They talk about their liberties often. Actually, that's one of the things I used to talk about the college kids all the time. Because, you know, they're coming, they're growing up, and they're 18, and they're 21, and they're walking through all these things that many of us walk through at those ages. And they're, they're becoming their own man or woman. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of them have good theology, and so then they start, you know, tapping into worldly things, tapping into things that are, they have freedoms, but they, they just talk about their freedoms and their liberties all the time. And the more they talk about their liberties, the more they talk about their freedoms, the more you go, I don't know if that's a liberty. <laughs> it sounds like you're enslaved to the very thing that you think is your freedom. And, and so I think a lot of times that, that can happen in the same way that a legalist can go around talking about their adherence to the law. The, the, the libertines go around talking about their liberty and their freedoms in Christ. 
a lot of times these are the people that basically say, if the Bible doesn't strictly forbid it, then you have the freedom to do it. They're the ones that will always say, show me where that Bible says that. Um, and, uh, you know, they want to sh- show me. Show me where the Bible says that. And, you know, a lot of times you just go, well, it's all right here. Love your neighbor as yourself. But they're like, no, no, no. show me where it says you can't drink alcohol. You know what I mean? And so it's like, no, come back over here. <laughs> you know, I- I'd be willing to give up meat forever if it caused my brother to stumble. You know, you just there's like a lack of, uh, of, of application and a lack of um, assessment, again, just like with the legalists. Um, they believe they have absolute freedom in Christ. And any Christian knows this. You don't have absolute anything. Your freedom in Christ is defined by his absolute authority of your life, right? His absolute authority, control, and, and possession of you defines the freedoms you have in Christ. You don't have freedom to murder. You don't have freedom to sin. You don't have freedom to be rude or unkind. You don't have freedom to cause your brother to stumble. So we do have freedom in Christ. We are free from the law. We are freed from what the law does and produces, which is death. But that freedom now in Christ, we are still we're compelled and restrained by love. We're still restrained and compelled by the commands of Christ. We don't have freedom to do what we want. In fact, Galatians 5 would say the Spirit actually drives you to do what you don't want to do, to go against your natural desires. And we'll talk about that in a second. So we don't have absolute freedom in Christ. If your conscience is free, or this is what the antinomian thinks, if your conscience is free, I don't have any uh, conviction about that, or, or you rationally justify the action with Scripture, then it's a freedom. But again, sometimes people can do something with a conscience that is not pricked at all. It doesn't mean they have a clean conscience. It could be that they have a callous conscience. You know, you want your conscience to be calibrated by Scripture and, and softened by Scripture so that then your conscience works correctly. Does that make sense? But just because you don't feel like something is bad doesn't make it not bad. Um, I know many people that have no, no uh, conviction doing some pretty heinous sins, but it's because they're either completely apart from Christ or they've been darkened or calloused in their heart, and they don't have an awareness of the fact that this is a sin against the Lord and it's harmful to your soul. Does that make sense? So a lack of conviction does not mean you, it's a freedom. Could it could be if you've got a, a good conscience, but it could be the fact that you, you need to be submissive to the word and, and let your conscience be retrained. Um, and like I said already, many times uh, uh, antinomians are actually slaves of the idol of freedom itself. Um, and so, uh, again, the answer to this, just like the other one, is or, or the, what is lacking is it's lacking love of Christ. It's lacking love of others. Um, and again, I, this is all the same stuff, but this, this love is displayed in these ways. It's displayed in submission. It's displayed in, in um, a desire to honor, please, glorify Christ. It's in, displayed in a desire to submit yourself to others, sacrifice for others, uh, be obedient to the Lord, deny yourself um, in humility. Um, and uh, the law itself is what defines God. It defines God's love. It defines obedience, submission, holiness. So to toss the law means you're tossing so much of 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 the inspired word of God given to you so that you can love him and love others. Does that make sense? So all that being said, legalism and antinomian, uh, and, uh, legalism and antinomianism are basically, like I said, uh, the same sides or different sides of the same coin. This was a way to say it. Legalism and antinomianism are equal in their neglect of love. That's what they're both lacking. So if you see yourself kind of you're like, I have those tendencies. I mean, I know what my tendencies are. And, and when I see those things begin to, to spring up through my words, through the way I'm treating others, uh, through my neglect of, of, of love, I mean, I know, I know I'm, I'm lacking a love of Christ and a love of others. Um, it's a lacking, um, uh, it's a neglect of sanctification, which is a pursuit of holiness to glorify Christ and to help edify others. Again, your sanctification is not just so you can be holy so God can exalt you. That's not what we're doing. We're being holy because Christ is holy and we're children of God and we're brethren of Christ and we want to be pure because he is pure. And we're doing that to to edify and sanctify one another. It's purposed for others. And then same thing with integrity. Your legalism, antinomianism lack integrity, which is a desire to be pure in heart and mind with the externals equally matching the internal convictions out of a love for Christ and others. So again, if you're something on the outside that you're not on the inside, you lack integrity, right? Um, and so to, be, to have integrity, your, your interior and your exterior need to match. 
who you are is the same person, whether someone sees or not. That's just who you are at your core. So all that being said, I think that's kind of like an overview of what legalism and antinomianism are. I think all of us naturally have certain tendencies. Uh, you know, a lot of times type A kind of people can head, you know, into the legalistic camp just because they like order, they like control, that kind of stuff, and you've got to fight that and love others. A lot of times people that are just more desire-driven and passionate can tend over into the antinomian camp. But again, it's like you've got to crucify those things, deny yourself, have self-control, and you do all that out of the glory of God and the love for others. And we tend to, to do this as believers when we're being lazy in our spiritual disciplines, when we're lacking in our love for Christ, our love for Christ wanes, and things that we do on a regular basis just begin to lose the, the internal motivation and the, the, the assessment of why we do what we do. And so we just keep doing it. And all of a sudden you start realizing, I'm not doing this out of love for Christ. I'm not doing this out of a love for others. And you just repent, get back up. and start. It doesn't mean you stop doing it. Um, you, you repent, you get back up, and you do it out of a love for Christ and a love for others. But the point is I want to make is so that you don't think uh, legalism is resolved by tossing the law, or you don't think lawness is resolved by adopting legalism. Those are all the same thing. Um, all that being said, the Word of God makes it super clear. So here's what we're going to do. For the rest of our time, which isn't too long, we're just going to look at certain, certain things, certain places in the Word of God that I think are just good for you to know. So when you see these things in your heart and your mind, run back to these places and let the Word of God like, like filter your thoughts and your intentions and your motives and your life and your actions and your words by His Word and let Him pull those things out of you and refine who you are. And it helps us to see this is what love is. This is what a true child of God looks like. This is what we are in Christ. And I think one of the best places to start is the Sermon on the Mount. Because here you got God in the flesh, sitting down with his people. So here's God on earth going, I know you heard it said, here's what I meant. You know what I mean? He is expositing his own law and he's telling everyone, this is what my people look like. We're not going to read through the whole thing. But if you look at Matthew 5, Actually, I'm going to grab my Bible real quick. It starts out with the whole, um, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are uh, the pure in heart. Blessed are those um, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What he's doing in all these blessed are's is, uh, is basically saying, this is the heart. This is uh, the character of my people. This, these are the kind of people that belong to Christ, that inherit the kingdom of God, and all of them. The first thing it says, poor in spirit. You, have, you look at yourself and you see yourself as spiritually uh, destitute. You know that there is no spiritual good and merit here. And you are fully dependent on Jesus Christ for any amount of good. So, I mean, that's, that's where this begins. That right there topples both antinomian and legalism immediately. When you recognize that there is nothing in you. And then he goes on, those who mourn over their sins, those who are gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So there, that, that is a desire to, 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 to make your life righteous and, and holy. Uh, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who make peace with God and others, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Again, persecution easily weeds out the, 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 the false... Uh, uh, sheep or the, the uh, among us, right? I mean, when, when it costs you something, the legalist isn't into that. And when it costs you something, the antinomian isn't into that either. So these things are, are the true character, the heart of what a believer looks like. And then he goes on after that to talk about our purpose in the world. Again, antinomians and legalists aren't concerned about being the salt and the light of the earth, but that is what the children of God are always concerned about. You want to live in a way that people are looking at your life and they, they glorify Christ for the way that you live. They look at you and they hear your words and they glorify Christ for the things that you've said. It has nothing to do with your own glory and your own honor. You want to be forgotten and you want him to be exalted uh, by your, your life and your words and your actions. Again, in uh, 5, 21 through 28, it's all the you have heard it said versus he's correcting a misunderstanding of the law. The law applied in a wrong way that leads into these uh, these temptations, uh, and he gets every time to the heart, right? You've heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, if you're angry at your brother, you're already there. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you look at lust with a woman in your mind, then you're already there. And, and, and that's what Christ is trying to show you. It's your heart. It's your heart 
getting at the heart of these things just exposes our legalistic tendencies and our, our, our um, antinomian tendencies. And then he, and then he goes into to chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Both camps do that. Both camps, whether you're flaunting your freedoms or whether you're showing everybody how religious you are, both of them want to be seen by man and assessed by man so that mankind can look at them and be like, that's what I want to be. That guy's got freedom in Christ. That person over there has holiness. Whatever it is, you're still being exalted by man and you're doing it to be seen by them. And again, we do things in secret so that only our Father understands the good that we're doing so that we have our reward in full. It doesn't mean you don't pray in public. It doesn't mean you don't be generous and you don't do things... It's just saying, don't exalt yourself and don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't, don't draw attention and awareness to yourself and don't do things in a way that's purposed to bring glory and honor to you. You want to be forgotten. Everything you do needs to bring glory and honor to him. And then again, no self-righteousness, no judging. Um, and th- those are purpose. The, the opposite of that is loving and edifying others. Uh, by the way, the, the no judging thing, that legalist and antinomian, this is a hang your hat on verse. You know, they go around always talking about do not judge. But what they're, what they're doing is they're trying to deflect assessment of, of their own character and heart. Um, and again, we are called not to judge our brethren. Uh, we're not to stand in judgment over someone. But you are called as children of God to assess and judge fruit consistently. Those who are spiritual are... are are, have the ability to spiritually appraise all things. But our judgment is the judgment according to his word. We're submissive to his judgment. And through the discernment of both knowing his word and practicing his word, you can have clearer discernment. Your discernment is not going to be cl- as clear as his. He knows and judges all things. But to say to a Christian, you should judge nothing, that's not biblical. You don't stand in judgment over your brother. You don't judge the motives and intentions of the hearts that you can't understand. We cannot judge whether someone's going to heaven or hell. We don't know that. But you do assess fruit. You do take the word of God. And you let it give you clear understanding both of the world, of your own heart, of the manifestations of fruit in others. And that helps you to act with good judgment. Does that make sense? So always know that too. Um, and then, uh, again, uh, Matthew 7, 7 through 12, the whole thing, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. There's the, the, the antidote there, love. And then these very last verses at the end of Matthew 7, I think are important to look at. Because at the very end, it's just examine yourself. Look at yourself. Look at what's going on here. These are always good, like, uh, like x-ray verses, convicting verses, weighty places to help you to dig out these kind of things in your heart. First thing, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide. The way is broad that leads to instruction. Many who enter through it, the gate is small. The way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. That ought to always cause us to pause and go, am I on that narrow way? Again, I think that the, you look at the Christian culture and, and most people think, well, it looks like many are on the narrow way. But, but he says it all the time. I mean, Christians are fighting, fighting for holiness, fighting to follow him. The way is small. The gate is narrow. There's many who miss it. And the way, you know, I, I remember reading in the Pilgrim's Progress, I think it was the Pilgrim's Progress, that the way to, to heaven has the, the label, or I'm sorry, the way to hell has the label heaven on it. Everyone that's on their way to hell is sure they're going to be fine. You know what I mean? And so, again, those are good verses to, to examine your heart. This, right after that, a tree is known by its fruit. Again, this is using discernment and, and judgment. He says a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce, or I'm sorry, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Again, all false teachers will tell you that they're not false teachers, and all liars tell you they're telling the truth, right? So the words may or may not help. It's, 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 what, it's what's being displayed in the, 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 the lives of people that begins to help you to understand what, what is coming out of the heart and, and, and who do these people belong to. Does that make sense? But again, don't worry about them as much as you need to, be to examine your own heart. You're known by what you produce. And so if you're producing things that the world produces, but you're saying with your lips, I'm a Christian, you got to check that. Again, 1 John's a good place to go for that too. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. 
again, to the antinomian or the legalist, right? Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's very explicit. Again, this doesn't mean you're saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. It's only through the blood of Christ and what Christ did on the cross that any of us can be born again, born of God, and made alive in Christ. But if we are his, we will do what the Father says. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? Very religious, right? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, this is what they did, practiced lawlessness. So, I mean, he knows, he assesses, he sees. Sure, you may go to church, and sure, you may, you know, do all these religious things, but he's like, but you, your whole life, you practice lawlessness. And again, we're fighting sinfulness, we're fighting our sin, but if you're practicing, now we just talked about in there, right? I mean, he was, at, at, uh, Johnny was showing us in, in 1 Thessalonians how Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to practice and continue to practice even more love, because practice makes perfect, like he said. And apply that to spiritual things. Practicing makes perfect. So sanctification makes Christ-likeness. And that's what Christ is always doing in us. And so we're always practicing righteousness. We're always practicing holiness, practicing love, practicing patience and kindness and mercy. Because we're not good at it. And he's always refining us. He's making us the image of Christ. But if you're practicing lawlessness, well, that means that you're getting better at it, Right? And again, I mean, I know we've probably said this many times in here, and I say to my girls all the time, and you guys ought to know this, but it, those who are well-practiced are, are pros, right? And so if you practice lying, and you practice deceit, or you practice lust, or you practice anger and impatience, well, then you're going to get better and better and better at it. And, uh, you know, and what's scary about that is some of those hidden sins, the well-practiced are well-practiced at hiding them, Right? I mean, there's some things you practice long enough and you can't keep that under covering. You practice lust long enough, that gets exposed, right? I guess you could practice that in a, a deceitful way to the end. But when we talk about deceit or lying or those kind of things, I mean, the best liars are the ones that you swear are telling you the truth, right? And the best thieves are the ones that you give them something because you trust them. And so, again, now we're not, we're not saying that's a good thing. We're just saying... The well-practiced are good at their craft. We want to be well-practiced in, in holiness, in, in purity, in love, in kindness and patience. And if you're well-practiced, then other people ought to see the evidence of that practice in your life, which we would call the fruit of the Spirit of God working in you. Does that make sense? And so all that being said, this comes back to this. It's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, it's those who practice righteousness is the positive way of saying this. It's those who practice lawlessness uh, will be cast out. And then at the very end, uh, he, he says, those who hear these words of mine and acts on them will be like the man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house. It did not fall. It was founded on the rock. The very opposite of the other dude, right? He hears my words. He does not act on them. That's the difference. Both hear his words. Both heard the truth. One acts on it. One does not. The one that acts is the man who builds his rock on the, uh, the house on the rock. The one who does not builds it on the sand, and all those things happen, and the fall is great. So again, uh, like I said, we're not going to get through all these things, but Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is such, it's just like pr- a precision scalpel, just cutting out the legalism, cutting out the lawlessness, just going through our lives and finding those places where we lack love, where we lack devotion to Christ, where we've forgotten who we are in Christ, and we begin to think too highly of ourselves and assess ourselves something different than the, Lord, the way the Lord would assess us, it pulls us back underneath the umbrella of His Word and of His Spirit and allows us to have a better assessment both of who we are in Christ and then the trajectory of how we can honor, please, love, glorify Him. And that, that gets you out of the weeds of legalism and antinomianism. Let me show you uh, one more. That I mean, there's lots of good ones. Actually, uh, a couple of just really quick hits. You know, when Jesus says things like this, there's a cost to following Christ. Legalists and antinomians aren't into forsaking and, and, and losing. Um, they're, they're into gaining. Um, and, but to follow Christ, he says, if you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Son or daughter, not worthy of me. Who doesn't take his own Christ and fall after me is not worthy. He who's found his life uh, will lose it. He who has lost his life 
for my sake shall find it. And then Luke 14, it gets a little, it's even said in a more stark way. If you don't hate your own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. It doesn't mean, we're never called to hate others. What he's saying is basically, your devotion and love for me should make all those other loves look like hatred in comparison. Does that make sense? Even of your own life. There must be, he must be the supreme, the one devotion, the highest love, the biggest motivation. All the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't mean, I mean, if you follow Christ, you're going to love your wife. If you follow Christ, you're going to love your children. If you follow Christ, you're going to lay down your life for others, and you're going to love them in a way you never could if you didn't follow Christ. But if you love them first, then they become an idol, and Christ is secondary, and you cannot be his disciple if they are first in your life. Does that make sense? And that's what he's saying here. Again, for an antinomian, the biggest thing would be his own life, and for the legalist, his own life. That's the thing we're unwilling to forsake. Wife, yeah, we can get rid of that for Jesus, right? And, and, and children, sure, we can get rid of them for Jesus, but not me. That's the, that's the big one. That's the, that's the thing that has to be crucified. And again, that's where he gets at in Luke 9, right? If you're going to follow him, if we're going to be Christians, well, this is what it's going to cost. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Again, that is the antidote to legalism and antinomianism. Forsake your life. Lose your life for his sake. Live your life for him and not for yourself. Um, and then uh, Matthew 16, same, same stuff. You've got to deny yourself, deny yourself. Um, I think this is, this is what we're going to end on. Uh, one of the best chapters, I think, that just goes right at the heart of this is Galatians 5. The whole letter goes right at the heart of legalism and, like, thrown in there is antinomianism because, again, it's the same thing. But in Galatians 5, um, it says this. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's the antinomian motto right there. It's on all their flags. It's on all their shirts. Yeah, it's just for freedom we're set free. And then there's a period instead of a colon. You know what I mean? And it's just like, that's it. But you got you to gotta keep reading because the rest of it really helps you understand what he's saying here. He says, therefore, in light of that, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. All right? And then he defines that yoke of slavery in both ways. It does not say in the Bible, enslaved by legalism. I'll put that up there, but just think of it right now as we talk about this. Read what he says. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, so he's like, if you go back to the old ways, if you go back to the, the laws that I set up for Israel and you try to submit yourself underneath that to gain some sort of, of merit, some sort of validation with God, then you have, that is the wrong path. Don't go that way. He says, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Again, if you pick up legalism, Christ is of no benefit to you. And I testify again, every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. That's terrifying. He's using the circumcision terminology to so say, if you want to go back to that, then you have cut yourself off from Christ. And you are seeking to be justified by the law, and you have fallen from grace. That ought to like, bring chills to you when you read that. Any Christians, like, I don't ever want to go there. The last thing I want to do is be severed from Christ, cut off from grace, and, and, and spit on what he did on the cross. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Again, you're, you're living by the Spirit here. You're striving after Christ by faith, but you understand perfect righteousness will only be attained when he is revealed, when he comes back. Right now, he's progressively making you more righteous, but you will not be righteous until Christ does that work. You can't do it. Again, this is the whole, don't sanctify yourself. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. It goes on to say, you were running well. You started well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. That's why I'm saying you want to be digging out these seeds and these roots that may be in your life because this stuff spreads. Um, he says, I have confidence in you that the Lord, uh, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you. There is someone that is preaching something that is causing them to slide over here back into legalism. He says, uh, he will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? He says, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished, and I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. I mean, that's some strong language. 
But this is a strong sin. You get far from legalism. Do you understand the implications of going down that path? I mean, it, it, there's eternal destruction ahead. And, and anyone that preaches something that causes you to be more legalistic and bring your self-righteousness and, 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 and exalt yourself, I mean, that person needs to be silenced. And you've got to dig that stuff out. Does that make sense? Legalism is deadly. But, like I said, oh, sorry, uh, the, the other side of it does not, is the, it's the same side. Don't go run over here and then just toss out obedience and toss out uh, 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 keeping his commandments. Because he says right after this, again, he quote right from the very top, for you were called to freedom. But look what he says. Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh or for the flesh. That's the other extreme. You can be over here and be legalistic, but then don't go, wait, I'm free in Christ and toss out all the imperative commands of the word that he's called you to be in Christ and then use your freedom to indulge your flesh and your desires and to, and to love the things of the world. He says, and look, here's the remedy. It's right there in scripture. But through love, serve one another. That's the answer. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So is the law good? Absolutely. Paul talks about it in Romans 6. The, the law helps us to see how to love God and how to love others. You're not Israelites. We're not going back to the ceremonial law and all that stuff. I mean, so don't, don't confuse that. What we're saying is there are imperative commands that we are called to do in his word. And, and, and all of them help us to understand how to love him and how to love others. And so you can't just toss it out the window and be like, I'm saved by grace. I do what I want. What we do is we submit ourselves to the word. We serve others. We love others. He says, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. And then look at this. It gets even better. But I say, you want to know how to solve legalism, antinomianism. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You can't be driven by the Spirit and be driven by these things that exalt you. Either one, antinomian or legalism. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. The spirit is against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. You can't have both. And look at this. So that, purpose statement, you may not do the things that you please. That is what the spirit of God is always doing in the heart of the believer. Working against your desires and against the things that you naturally want and against the boastful pride of life so that you become more like Christ, so that you can become less like you were, so that you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow him. The Spirit is working to cause you to become more like him and less like what you were. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And look at this. This is legalism and antinomianism. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. That's the antinomians. They love dwelling in those camps. But then enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes. Legalists, they, are, they, they thrive on those things. Dissensions and factions, envy and drunkenness, back to antinomian, carousing. The point is, they are naturally the same thing. It's just displayed in different ways. Whether you're over here running after your passions and your desires, living according to whatever you please and saying, I'm free in Christ, or whether you're over here judging everybody, causing dissensions and factions, you're angry and you define yourself by his law and not love. It's the same thing. You're being driven by the flesh. You're being driven by your natural self. That is never how the Spirit works. And he says, Of which I forewarn you and I have forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, all these things are in us, but those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but here's the remedy, walk by the Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, God will never limit or condemn these things. This is always, always his will. You want to fight against legalism? Then love. Find your joy in Christ. Make peace and be at peace with both God and others. Be patient, be kind, practice goodness, be faithful, practice gentleness, self-control. That's always the Lord's will. That's always going to be loving towards him and loving towards other. He says, those who belong in Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. 
And again, the Bible is very clear about what passions and desires are throughout Scripture. Ephesians 2, it's the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind. Colossians 3, it's, it's, uh, it's our, our evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. We're, we're worshiping ourselves rather than God. Uh, it's, it's 1 John, I didn't write that one in here. I think 1 John 3 that talks about it's the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, the eyes, and boastful pride of life. Say, what is it? 2, 15 through 17. Again, the, the, the scripture is clear with those things. If, if, it's, if it's exalting you, if it's proud, if it's boastful, it's, it's not of God. If it's your desires that are coming from your lusts and your wants and the things that are natural to you, the things your eyes are drawn to, the things your hearts are drawn to that, that, that is not glorifying the Lord, it's not a God. And so don't call those freedoms. Those are always enslavement. Does that make sense? Freedom is forsaking those things and submitting to Christ, striving for holiness and purity and love. Um, like I said, I'm, I got more and more and more, but I think that's a good place to stop for today. So, like I said, uh, the, the biggest thing here is understanding that both legalism and, and uh, antinomianism or the legalist and the libertine, they're, in the, they're on the same team, and they're fighting the same fight, and they're in the same boat. Really, in the end, it's all about self-exaltation. It's all about other people and how they perceive you. It's all about gaining a reputation, very focused on reputation. Uh, it's about gaining an audience, uh, gaining some sort of, some sort of place. Uh, the opposite is love. And love is self-sacrificial. It's serving others, loving others, laying down your life for others, not being noticed and doing things for the glory of self, but striving for Christ to receive all the glory for you to be forgotten. Um, and that's always the answer to legalism and antinomy. Like I said, examine your own hearts. I think we're always needing to, to pull these things out. And you can usually watch yourself drift into one of these camps when your love of Christ is growing cold. Your love of others is, is just not there. You've been a, away from his word, and his word's not bringing about the weight of conviction. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, so let me pray for us.